Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No Indeed, go to my site, 
Uh, my intent is to inspire each and every one of you to have at least one drum in your home and, if possible, a designated drummer so that that person can be the one who plays the drums for any significant event that happens within the family household, whether it be the birth of a child or the transition of a loved one to the other side. Uh, and then, of course, any event that happens between those particular significant moments of one's uh, living in this life form. Uh, so, again, my name is uh, Baba Wesley Tahuti Gray, and I am so happy to have you with us this evening, this, uh, uh, the first Sunday of September, day before Labor Day here in the United States. So it's basically, technically, a, a holiday weekend. So uh, our last show was a pretty exciting show, and uh, all of our shows are exciting for that matter. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I, I really enjoyed uh, sharing the, uh, the, the writings of Shakti Gowan, uh, Shakti Gawain, actually. Uh, she is a person who has made a, uh, an impression upon me uh, going back some 30 years uh, since I started reading such books which were spiritually... Uh, so of spiritual content and spiritual elevation. So uh, it was a pleasure to uh, to start reading her book. And, of course, for those of you who may be tuning in for the first time who are not familiar with my show, it's uh, the title of, this, of the show is Grassroots Holistic Health Talk Radio. And what I attempt to do is to uh, talk about things that are dealing with health particularly from a holistic perspective and from a grassroots perspective. And uh, I share books such as uh, the book that I'm reviewing uh, this evening, Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain, uh, because it deals with uh, personal, guide to personal and planetary transformation, which uh, all of us can never get enough of in terms of information and inspiration. And, of course, I constantly talk about... Uh, having a healthy livid, not a diet, but a livid. <laughs> uh, I've coined that expression, and I hope it catches on. Uh, rather than dying and being it, uh, I propose that we live to the most of our, the best of our capacity, and to be it, to be that in, in heart, soul, and spirit. So, uh, a heart, body, and spirit. Indeed, uh, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the fact that, that those of you who are in the chat room, please feel free to share your thoughts and any comments uh, that you'd like to be aired on the show. And, of course, the calling number is 347-215-7331. Uh, I repeat, that number is 347-215-7331. And those of you who would like to call in, uh, please, and you'd like to speak with me, please press the number one button and I will be, uh, it will be a pleasure to, to engage in conversation with you. So, again, um, this is uh, the show which is going to be featuring Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain. And uh, I look forward to uh, any feedback and thoughts that you'd like to share with us. My uh, wife is uh, in and out of the studio. She'll be back shortly. And... Um, of course, uh, it's always a pleasure to have us, her with us to share her thoughts. Uh, let me just share a little bit about uh, Shakti Gawain. Uh, 
for those of you who didn't tune in last week. Uh, Living in the Light is about the transformation of consciousness within each individual and in the world. And Shanti makes use of the terms old world and new world throughout the book as a way of referring to the old way of life that we are living, or should I say the old way of life that we are leaving behind and the new one that we are creating. And for many people this time may be distressing because the world situation and our personal lives may seem to be going from bad to worse. And she indicates how our established religious institutions support the fear of intuition, non-rational self, and once based on a deep awareness of the universal creative principle in every being, many religions only pay lip service to that idea now. Uh, Indeed, they seek to control the behavior of their devotees using elaborate uh, rules and structures and purported to save people from their deep, irrational, and basically sinful natures. And she goes on to state that generally less technically developed societies approach life with a deep awareness of and and respect for the intuitive element of existence, and and that she states that every nuance uh, of their daily lives is guided by a strong sense of connection with the creative force. And the African-American culture forcibly brought, uh, brought to this country uh, and this continent has probably done more than any other culture to keep the intuitive power alive in our country through this strong spirit. Uh, this is what she states. And Shakti also shares with us that our children come into the world as clear beings. They know who they are, and they know they are here to, and what they're here to do. And I do believe on some level of consciousness that parents and the child have made an agreement, she states. The parent has agreed to support and assist the child in developing his or her form, and the child has agreed to help the parents to be more in touch with their intuitive selves because children have not yet lost their connection to their spirit. So, indeed, uh, this evening's uh, uh, topic of discussion will be covering the chapter that she she titles um, Spirit and Form. And that's an interesting piece because I'm always intrigued by the notion that we are um, spiritual beings having a human, a human experience. Uh, and that's something that one has to ponder to really and embrace that concept as being so true. And it took me some while, uh, some 25, 30 years ago, to really fully understand the significance of that particular conception, a concept, as it were, about us being spiritual beings, having a human experience. So I'll, I'll just indulge uh, with um, uh, the, the, some of the things that Shakti shares with you regarding spirit and form. She states that uh, spirit is the essence of consciousness, the energy of the universe that creates all things, and each one of us is a part of that spirit, a divine entity. So the spirit is the higher self, the eternal being that lives within us. Form is the physical world, and as an individual, my form is my physical body, my mind and my personality. It is also my self-concept, my ego-slash-identity structure. Uh, 
and she goes on to share her name, is Shakti Gawain, and she was born uh, September 30th, 1948, and she's 5'9", and, and she's tall, and weighs 130 pounds at the time, and states that she's intelligent and has a generally ongoing personality, and that is all information about her form. Uh, indeed, I'm uh, a person uh, who's... Uh, was born in the month of December, the 28th of December, and um, have certain traits in, as an African-American, a man of African descent, and I'm six feet tall, and have a, uh, an education that you might deem me to be intelligent and uh, informed, somewhat eclectic in terms of uh, my life's journey at this point. But... Um, I also recognize that I am a spiritual being. And we as spiritual beings, as Shakti shares the, the, the concept and the postulation that we create the physical world as a place to learn. And that's, when, that's what we did collectively. All the spirits, all the uh, seven billion uh, souls that uh, exist on this planet called Earth. Uh, that's the last number that I've heard. Uh, and it's our school, our playground, our artist's studio, as it were. And she states that she believes that we're here to master the process of creation, to learn how to consciously channel the creative energy of spirit into physical form. Physicists are now discovering that metaphysicists and metaphysicians have claimed for thousands of years, what they've claimed for thousands of years, seemingly solid physical matter is in reality made of energy. And if we look through a powerful microscope, a microscope rather, at anything solid, we see an infinite number of little vibrating particles. And if we closely examine one of these particles, we discover that it is made of even smaller particles and so on. The fact is that everything physical is made of energy, which we can also call spirit or the universe. So modern science supports the ancient metaphysical truth that form is created out of spirit. And when our spirit decides to manifest its physical form, the first thing it creates is a physical body in which to house itself. And we choose a little situation or so should I say we choose a life situation and create a body in accordance with what we feel will best serve and teach us in this lifetime. And ultimately, uh, our goal is to create a body personality that can fully express our divine creative spirit, a form that can do everything our spirit wants to do easily, skillfully, and beautifully. However, the physical world still exists at a relatively primitive level of creation compared to the consciousness of our spirits. I read, and she states that she read recently in a scientific article that the human body-mind has evolved very little since prehistoric times, and thus we have very evolved beings embodied in relatively simple and unevolved forms. And these forms have a certain consciousness of their own which revolves around basic survival issues, how to get enough food, shelter, and emotional nurturing, 
how to protect oneself from danger, and how to make sure reproduction takes place and offspring survive. I must take a pause for a moment to acknowledge that my wife just walked into the studio, and um, it's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you doing, hon? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's really nice to have you with us. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much aware of the fact that my wife and I um, are very much on the same page, as it were, regarding spirit and body, spirit and form. And uh, we're very blessed to have that type of understanding and relationship because there's many uh, of couples who really don't share that understanding, if not at all between the both of them or one or the other has it and then the other one does not really have that particular um, uh, recognition. And that can present problems because of the fact that once you realize that both of your spirit, you tend to share the respect for each other on that level. My wife and I constantly acknowledge each other with the words of namaste and peace and love, and especially on, uh, with our friends and associates through our networking connections. Uh, namaste is, is, a, is a word that we share. Uh, the meaning of that, of course, being the divinity in me honors and respects the divinity in you. So our spirit, my spirit, honors and respects your spirit beyond body and form because as you get older, uh, the form changes. Uh, the, many of us get married because we're attracted to each other because of form. Uh, she's beautiful. He's handsome. She's young. He's young. Um, he or she has a lot of money or can make a lot of money. All of these things which are very temporal, which will not last. And then as these things cease to be or they diminish, then the respect, if not indeed the love, is lost. And that's a bad scenario. That's a bad situation. It's not really what the intention is of the Most High, of the universe, of our God. Whatever name we choose to call our beloved uh, God, Most High, and uh, Higher Self. So, indeed, we need to really have an understanding of what Shakti shares with us regarding spirit and form. So, the... uh, when our spirit decides to manifest its physical form, the first thing it does is create a physical body in which to house itself. And that's something I shared earlier. And after we are born into the body, we forget who we really are and why we came here. And we take on the survival consciousness of the physical world and we get lost in the world of form. We forget our spirits, believing that we are just our personalities. We lose touch with our true power and feel lost and helpless, and life becomes a tremendous struggle to find meaning and satisfaction. We may spend many lifetimes, and I repeat, we may spend many lifetimes caught up in this cycle. Certainly most of us have spent many years in this lifetime looking outside of ourselves, trying to find fulfillment in the world of form. So if one is aware of the fact that, yes, indeed, we do not exist for just one lifetime, that reincarnation is something to ponder and to uh, take a note of, that there's a possibility that, yes, we've been here before. 
uh, my wife and I believe in this and really subscribe to the notion that we've been here many, many times, hundreds if not thousands of times before this particular lifetime. And a lot of times we understand that we're constantly coming back because of karma, because of unlearned lessons, because of uncompleted business, as it were. So we may spend many lifetimes caught up in the circle, in the cycle, rather, and uh, most of us, uh, we become unwilling to spend one more lifetime, one more year, or even one more minute in futile struggle and frustration and hopelessness, we soon give up. And this is usually a painful and frightening place in a person's life. It feels like hitting bottom. And it is a time of ego death when the body-mind form recognizes the hopelessness of trying to live this way and surrenders its fight. It would rather die than keep trying. So at this time, a person often has thoughts and feelings of death or may experience the death of a close friend or family member or several of them at the same time or same period of time. And then some people create a serious illness, accident, or other major crisis at this time, and some contemplate or even attempt suicide. So that says a lot. I often shared with my wife, and I now remember uh, that this book is one of the books that I've read many, many years ago with the precept that some of us actually create situations in which we die, of which death becomes a foregone conclusion. We will ourselves to death through disease, through accidents, through injuries, indeed, through association with those people who should not be in our life. Ah, good, thanks. We, we constantly, from time to time, remind ourselves of that phenomenon. So, this is very real. That's why it's so important to be cognizant, to be aware of the fact that one has to be very much uh, in tune with yourself in terms of what is your internal journey, what are you thinking, what is your inner chatter about, is it about love, is it about respecting yourself, and is it about enhancing your, your growth, and also being around those people who share the same uh, objectives in terms of their journey. I'd like to just take a moment of, uh, take a break for a moment and, and just uh, pause for the cause and we'll be right back shortly.
talking about uh, what Shakti shares with us, the, uh, the painful and frightening place that can be in a person's life when one feels like they've hit bottom. And it's a time of the ego death when the body-mind form recognizes the hopelessness of trying to live this way and surrenders its life. And it would rather die than keep trying. So at this time, a person often has thoughts and feelings of death and may experience the death of a close friend and family member, uh, several of them, and then some people create serious illnesses and accidents or other major crises in this time, and some even contemplate or even attempt suicide. It says a lot. I've made the observation and shared at times with my friends, and indeed my wife, um, the fact that many of us have a uh, passive suicidal uh, life journey where they smoke cigarettes and engage in other habits, uh, drinking and taking certain intoxications, eating foods that are not healthy, and not exercising, not doing what is necessary to ensure that you are living uh, an optimal healthy lifestyle, which knowing that the longer you do this, especially as you get older, your body loses its resilience it loses its capacity to fight off disease and, and, and a host of uh, uh, detriments, detrimental things that can happen to you by not embracing a healthy lifestyle so that you know that your death is something that becomes an um, a easier experience to bring on into your journey. And then of those of us who do this the opposite, who do the most we can, to live a healthy life, recognize that indeed longevity is something that is a good possibility. It's no guarantee, because only the Most High is able to really guarantee uh, how long you will live, how well you will live, how healthy you will be. But indeed, He gives us free will. So it's up to us, it behooves us to do whatever we can to enhance and to help and uh, to assist and to give thanks, actually, to the Most High for this uh, gift that was given to us, this body, this form that houses our spirit. So the, um, the darkest hour is usually just before the dawn when we finally give up the struggle to find fulfillment and out there, uh, going out there, as it were. We have nowhere to go but within. And it is at this moment of total surrender that the light begins to dawn. We expect to hit bottom, but instead we fall through a trapdoor into a bright new world. We've dis- rediscovered the world of our spirit. And this is like being reborn. We are infants in this new world and have no idea how to live since none of our old ways work here. We feel uncertain and out of control because our ego is not in control anymore. Yet hope is reborn with us and power and vision start to come through and from this point we become gradually more enlightened. Ram Das has a beautiful analogy for this process. He likens it to a clock where 12 o'clock is a starting point and from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock life is totally lost in the illusion of form. And from 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock is gradual disillusionment with the world. And 6 o'clock is where you hit bottom. 
you feel like you lose everything. But as you pass through 6 o'clock, you are actually waking up to the spirit. And from 6 back up to 12 o'clock is ever-increasing enlightenment. As individuals, we are at various stages in this process. And by the time we have enough awareness to be talking about this, we are all well into the light. And I have a sense that we each have our one major cycle of this type lasting over many physical lifetimes. And we also have an infinite number of minor cycles, sometimes almost daily. I also have the feeling that the mass consciousness in this world is just passing through six o'clock. Indeed, this being the year 2012, at the beginning of this year, um, just before the beginning of 2012, there was this excitement about the year 2012 being a year of uh, collective transformation. And this may be true. I won't get into detail with this this evening, because uh, it's, it's something that I'm still researching and still just contemplating and, and uh, digesting. But there seems to be this um, cohesiveness, this collective feeling that something is changing amongst all of us, especially those of us who have been on the path of righteousness, on the path of enlightenment, on the path of uh, self-awareness and ascension. So um, I'm very excited to be living during this period, and I'm very excited to uh, be reminded as I read this book over again and share it with you, especially those of you who cannot afford to purchase books, who don't have access to books, who uh, cannot read, who are blind, who are confined to uh, your bed, uh, who are invalids, uh, and those of you who just really would not be encouraged or inclined to read books such as this, it gives me a pleasure to share it with you and to encourage you to purchase these books if not, borrow them from the library if you can, and of course to share our show with those who uh, you feel might find our shows to be of interest, like this one that we're um, sharing with you this evening. Again, uh, the book is titled Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain, and I will continue to share with you this thought. As Ram Das just illustrated, using the clock as a metaphor in terms of how we can hit rock bottom uh, at 6 o'clock and then from 6 going back to 12, get to a a state of enlightenment, as it were. When we as individuals first rediscover our spirit, uh, rediscover our spirit, we are usually drawn to nature and we are drawn to nurture and also to cultivate this awareness. And this often involves one degree or another of withdrawing from the world and going within. For some people, this takes the form of spending time in nature, as I mentioned earlier. And for some, it involves practicing meditation, going to retreats, and so forth. And for some, it may be simply finding time to be alone and quiet. And often, it's a time of partial or complete withdrawal from relationships, work, and our other attachments, which tend to pull us outside of ourselves. And for some beings, this phase may last a whole lifetime or more. 
and for others it might last only a few weeks or months. And each entity is unique. So we all experience this move within in different ways in one form or another. And we learn to go within and be at that quiet space, that quiet place in ourselves for a while. And there we find a deeper and deeper connection with our spirit. And while we are feeling deeply connected with ourselves in this way, we often find that we have a feeling of clarity, vision, and wisdom, and power, and love. And this is because our spirits are already highly evolved, and they are already immersed in the truth and in the light. So as soon as we make that contact, we get a temporary high, an experience of momentary enlightenment. And I find that many of us, uh, we tend to, depending on our religion and and whatever spiritual journey we're on, sometimes we become very myopic. We think, ah, I got this high. And uh, only me and those of my fellow brothers and sisters who are a member of this congregation have this high like I do. And the others, they're not experiencing this. And it's for me, as the leader tells us to to go out and, and just share this notion that we have a unique experience. And that's very much uh, far from uh, the truth because regardless of your religious orientation, regardless of your spiritual journey, light shines throughout the world, throughout the universe, as it were. No one has a lot. No one is only privy to that experience. So... uh, Indeed, one has to recognize that once you recognize that this is something that is not unique, but that it is unique, depending on uh, your life's journey, what you've had to learn in this present incarnation and previous incarnations, that, yes, as Shakti states, this transition and this aha moment of enlightenment and this light coming within you and coming to forth into your, uh, your essence of who you are and the body form can take moments, it can take days, weeks, months, years, if not many lifetimes. So here we have the dilemma in which we all currently find ourselves. Somewhat of a great discrepancy between our spirit and our form. The spirit is very powerful and creative. It has a lot of things that it would like to do by expressing itself in the physical world. But it needs to have the form as a vehicle in which to do it. And the form is willing but isn't yet able to go where the spirit wants to go. It has to be educated and transformed through the power and wisdom of the spirit. And that's why it's so important to explore the different modalities of how spirit can express itself. Uh, Those of us of African descent understand that we have a, a rich history in terms of how spirit is able to manifest. And what type of vehicles can be used to do this? Um, Those of us who are in touch with the indigenous community understand that they have a unique way in which of connecting with spirit through ways which have been shunned upon and discarded by a certain uh, uh, population of the world, especially here in the Western Hemisphere. And I can see now uh, that there is this gradual reclaiming, this gradual reorientation to the ways 
of the indigenous, especially those of African descent. And Shakti states that if it wasn't for the, the African, for the African culture, which was forcibly brought to this continent, and has probably done more than any other culture to keep the intuitive power alive in our country here in the Western Hemisphere through its strong spiritual orientation. If it wasn't for us, as it were, if not those of us who were born of African descent, um, those who embraced that particular concept and that philosophy, that we would be lost. And that says a lot. Uh, we have to remind ourselves that uh, I'm speaking to you now from the United States here in New York City, that um, we have a lot to be thankful for, for not only the indigenous people, the Native American, but indeed those of us from the African diaspora, whether it be from the Caribbean countries, uh, throughout the diaspora, uh, from Mother Africa, uh, those of us who have been placed throughout the world, we've had this spiritual connection. And I may add, a lot of this was enhanced through the playing of the drum. We have had this intuitive, this in, intrinsic connection with the drum. And, and, that, and that's uh, extending from just a piece from wood uh, and, and skin of an animal, but the beat of our hearts is the soul uh, spirit comes, comes from the heart, and we have from the heart this particular love, this uh, way of showing unconditional love towards each other and towards the world. And uh, that has been something that has sustained us as a people uh, and indeed sustained us as human beings because it is contagious. Once you get rid of the toxicity within yourself, once you get rid of the toxic thoughts, because we know that as you think, so shall it be. Once we understand that indeed that you are a spirit, and as I said earlier in the show, the word namaste, the divinity in me recognizes and acknowledges the divinity in you. Once we understand that we are all one, we're one soul, we're one spirit, and that many of us are here because of the fact that that part of our soul is splintered, and we're here to individually repair and to heal that part that needs to be healed individually, and then, of course, to do it collectively. And the opposite word is love, because uh, if you're not dealing with love, then you're dealing with fear, and fear is about uh, destruction, fear is about uh, anger, fear is about uh, non-spirit, that's about ego. Love is about spirit. Love is about uh, the heart. Love is about the higher self. So let's just keep that in mind in terms of the essence of spirit and form. And then, of course, I'm going to uh, go over some other points later on next week regarding uh, the essence of, of being balanced, uh, dealing with uh, the living the principles of life as Shakti sees it, the essence of the dichotomy of men and women. Matter of fact, before the show is over, I think we're going to be able to cover what she has to share with us about the dynamics of men and women from a spiritual perspective. 
So the understanding can explain a lot of things that many of us are experiencing in our lives, uh, this understanding about the fact that we're dealing with a discrepancy of sorts in terms of uh, the spirit in a relatively uninvolved form is quite uncomfortable as we live in this uh, day and age. So we just accepted it as our lot in life, many of us. But now that we remember our true identity, we may feel like we're trapped in an alien world. And this understanding can explain a lot of things that many of us are experiencing in our lives. Why is it that we have wonderful moments of consciousness and clarity and then find ourselves that we have completely lost our perspective and become immersed in fear and pain again? How is it that we can feel so loving, wise, and accepting one day and the next day feel so angry, foolish, and judgmental? Why did we feel like we'd really gotten it at a workshop and then seen to almost overnight lose it the next day? How is it that we can feel so peaceful and unattached to material things and when we're meditating and yet often our relationships seem like a worseness, a worse mess than ever before? And how come we have such a trust and the abundance of the universe but we're still having financial problems? I can remember... Uh, during my young manhood years, uh, during the periods of the 60s, uh, 70s, that was a period here in, in America, here in the United States, uh, the period of, of uh, transformation, the period of practicing the concept of love. And uh, it was a very interesting period. It was also the period of the civil rights movement where... Um, we recognize as people of African descent that we were only as strong as our weakest link. And we were able to persuade those powers that be that we needed to be treated with equality. And in that pursuit for equal justice, we found that we were united with each other. And there was a sense of camaraderie beyond uh, the, the notion that we've ever anticipated and experienced. And then, of course, those of other uh, nationalities and ethnicities were experiencing this transformation as well. But somehow or other, we became complacent. We allowed ego to come into play, and spirit was uh, looked upon as being unnecessary. And I guess we do have those cycles, but we are now recognizing that that did not work because many of us are reaping the benefits of that relinquishing of, uh, of the love, of the, of the connectedness, of the oneness. And uh, many of us, some of us have, I shouldn't say many, but uh, a few of us have given up. And um, I'm one, my wife shares this sentiment with me, that we cannot afford to give up. And we shan't give up. We will not. And, of course, that allows us to at this moment, as I speak with you, to experience the fact that indeed by having that attitude, that light starts shining through. Once you make a decision that you're going to live from a platform of love, then the Most High begins to facilitate you. Then the universe begins to facilitate you. Uh, 
that something is so magical, so miraculous. And this happens through prayer, through meditation, through chanting, to uh, whatever your orientation may be, whether it be to uh, chanting uh, through, the, the, through the practice of zikah, uh, japa beads, as it were, or just uh, using rosary beads, or going to church in collective prayer, uh, going to the masjid, to the synagogue, to the temple, to the shrine, whatever your orientation may be, if you're sincere in that practice, then you cannot live in a state of darkness. You cannot live in a state where there is no light shining through you. Light has to come through. The purpose of your life has to become an, a keen uh, awareness that you begin to realize. And you start to indeed associate yourself with people who have like mind, who are on the same path, who will assist you and those who you will be able to assist. So this is something to say about the title of this book. Once you start living in the light, living in the light, then you will start to reach your purpose, to obtain your purpose. So, uh, again, I, I, I want to thank you all for tuning in this evening. I see that we have a guest uh, just logged in. We have a few that have come on board. And uh, if you wish to share any thoughts, please feel free to share your thoughts with us. And, of course, the call-in number is 347-215-7331. And it would be a pleasure to speak with you if you'd like to and press the number one button if you'd like to engage in conversation and share your thoughts. So integrating self and form. The first step in the process of consciously transforming your form to match your spirit is to be able to recognize and fill both the consciousness of your spirit and the consciousness of your form, and that's personality, mind, ego. It's a bit like living with two people inside of you. You may be accustomed to feeling only one of them most of the time, with occasional flashes of the other, or you may flip back and forth frequently between the two perspectives. It's as if one takes control of the body for a while and you see things from that viewpoint, and then the other one takes over and suddenly everything's, uh, everything looks different. For example, Sati explains that she frequently gets inspiring creative ideas for a new project that she wants to do, and she gets a very strong vision of how wonderful it will be and how it can work. All this is coming from her spirit. And, of course, she gets excited and, and jumps into the project, making all kinds of plans and initiating many actions in that direction. And then a few days or weeks later, she finds herself feeling totally overwhelmed, overworked, frustrated, and ready to throw the whole thing out the window. She states that her spirit has a time, uh, a true vision, but she was trying to achieve it faster than it, her form was able to go. And at this point, she had to stop and consider what's realistic for her and set the project aside for a while, or allow it to take longer and develop more slowly. And her spirit tends to race ahead, so it has to learn to go at a pace that the form can handle. And we find this happening many times that uh, we can have an idea, and that's why some people state, and I embrace this concept, that when you have an idea, sometimes it's best for you to keep it to yourself, 
And then if you do decide to share it with someone, to share it with someone who has your best interests in mind, someone who, uh, who actually has uh, an understanding that indeed you are a unique person and the reason why they're in your life is because they are a unique person as well in form, but more importantly that you're one spirit and you're each helping each other in this journey. And to engage in meditation, engage in uh, giving your, your form the capacity to catch up with your spirit if it happens to be not in, in alignment. And so that indeed, as you have your ideas, as you engage in your journey from a spiritual perspective, that form is able to become synchronized with that particular uh, journey aspect of your spirit. And then the second step is to love and accept both aspects of yourself. They are both beautiful and vital parts of you. Without your spirit, you wouldn't be alive. You'd only be a dead body. Without your form, you wouldn't be able to be in this world. You'd be existing in some other realm of consciousness. And it may be frustrating at times to see that your form can't do all the things that your spirit wants to do yet. But it's important to appreciate it as it is now and allow the integration to take space, to take place at its own space and pace. For example, a few years ago, Shakti was living with a man and they had an open relationship. In other words, we were free to be with other lovers. And she had a very strong spiritual ideal that she could love someone deeply and allow him to be free to follow energy and the energy that he might feel with someone else, and that she would be free to do likewise. Sometimes she was able to do this, and she had some beautiful moments where she felt an expansive and exhilarating unconditional love and a deep intimacy with her lover, and sometimes even felt a love towards his other lovers. But most of the time, she was racked with jealousy and emotional pain. And I must suspect, oh, I'm not going to deliver, I mean, the, the, to indulge and, uh, with this particular uh, thought that she shares with us in the book that she wrote. But I just wanted to say that I know me, as an African man, I could never contemplate this notion of unconditional love that I can share uh, my wife, my significant other, with another man. Uh, that is something that will would never be acceptable in my in, in my particular uh, concept of of what uh, living a healthy uh, partnership, having a healthy partnership, is about. But I do un- understand that there's many people in their journey who have this particular notion in, in their particular uh, consciousness, and I understand that this is not something that is needed within my community, within the nation. Uh, should I say, within the village of the African uh, diaspora. We need to understand what works and what doesn't work. We need to go back to the things that were proven to be uh, viable uh, uh, structures within our particular community, within our household. So we need to understand that the sacredness of marriage, the sacredness of partnership, spiritual partnering, is something that is, cannot be compromised, cannot be treated lightly. It has to uh, be something that is very sacred. 
And once we have that particular understanding, then indeed we can indulge, indulge ourselves with uh, taking the responsibility of bringing someone into our particular life's journey and being responsible individuals as we do this. So uh, I'm going to talk more about that. I think that's something that needs to be addressed. I know I was going to discuss uh, this chapter that she talks about men and women. And, uh, again, like everything else, uh, you know, there are things that we can agree about. And we all have something to contribute. Uh, and then, uh, of course, we can agree to be disagreeable, uh, agree, dis agree to disagree and without being disagreeable. Um, so... I, I, I'm happy that I did read this, though, because I know that within various communities we have this, uh, uh, this dynamic going on where we're uh, dealing with uh, creating emotional pain within each other's uh, uh, body form, within our emotion of ego, and uh, not allowing the spirit to really manifest itself in its, full, in its fullness. And a lot of it has to be because of the fact that we've bought into, uh, as I like to say, we've drank the Kool-Aid uh, and bought into this lie. We've gotten it twisted, as it were, in terms of what is a healthy lifestyle uh, within just being by yourself, for that matter, to say nothing of uh, being in partner with someone else and have, having her or his life being shared with you. Uh, so those of you who are listening and who will listen uh, to this particular uh, show on, in the archives and so forth, I think this is something to take very seriously because we're living in a state where we're trying to have our cake and eat it too. That's a no-no. Cannot do that. I shouldn't say that we cannot, but uh, we should not if one wants to really live a, 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 in a happy state uh, by being spiritually oriented with one's journey as opposed to physically and in the life in the physical form. Um, it can work maybe with some, very few, but as a norm, I think that's something that really should be considered as not a desirable way to uh, take on your particular journey of spirit and form and meshing the two, combining the two so that they're in balance. So, uh, if on the other hand, if you're too afraid to speak the truth uh, with your particular significant other, and I just actually, let me just go back a moment. If you have a friend and there's something that you want to say that you're afraid to do or fear that your friend might get hurt or angry and reject you and you find yourself to have, not to have the courage, you go ahead and, and, and say what's on your mind if you do have the courage, go ahead and say what you feel in its entirety and then observe what happens and how you feel as a result. And chances are that you will feel energized and empowered by the experience. So what she's talking about is being truthful, being truthful with yourself and also being truthful with your significant other um, and also being truthful with your friends, your siblings, your parents, your family members, and even those you just meet for the first time, if you're with them for a moment, engage with this in, in interaction from a level of truth as opposed to from a level of telling a lie or being uh, non-genuine, uh, as it were, non-authentic. 
be as authentic as you possibly can at all times. And also, I, I see we only have about five minutes remaining. I, I must uh, state, as I've uh, been sharing with my wife and, and a few other people who've been in my life as of late in terms of the journey of me understanding how it, important it is to be in the mode of thankfulness, being in the mode of gratitude. Um, I, those of you who may have uh, tuned in uh, some weeks ago when I was covering uh, The Secret and another book titled The Magic by Rhonda Byrne understood that uh, I was very much encouraged and excited about the notion that being in a state of thankfulness state of gratitude throughout the awakening period uh, can be such a transformative experience. And the results from that can be so miraculous, so magical. Uh, so I cannot say it more, uh, cannot say it enough that one should be, from the moment you rise from your bed, the moment you wake up actually, to have the essence of, of gratitude within your consciousness, that you have another day, that you are alive, that you are healthy. In my case, I, I, I'm thankful that I have uh, not only myself in terms of health, but my wife is with me. I'm married to a, a wonderful individual who is also healthy and who's sharing my journey with me in, in a mode of love, in a mode of health, uh, as opposed to in a mode of fear in a mode of disease and unhealth. So uh, I just cannot be redundant enough about that particular uh, notion of um, contemplating the word gratitude as being a foremost word in your life. And also thank you, constantly saying thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you throughout the day. Uh, those two words, actually uh, three words, thank the word you, and we're directing that to the universe, to the most high, and also the word gratitude, uh, directing that to the most high, directing that to the universe, and indeed to the ancestors, to those who paved the way, to those whose shoulders we stand upon, those who passed the baton to us so that we can continue the race towards fulfillment, towards and form. So again, I thank you for tuning in this evening. I look forward to you tuning in again next week. Again, my name is Baba Tuhudi Wesley Gray, and I close as I begin with giving thanks to the Most High. Dear God, we give this evening to you, and may our minds stay centered on the things of spirit and goodness, and may we not be tempted to stray from love. As we begin this week, we open to receive you. Please enter where you already abide. Minds and hearts be pure and true, and may we not deviate from the things of goodness. May we see the love and innocence in all mankind behind the masks we all wear and the illusions of this worldly plane. We surrender to you our doings this evening. We ask only that they serve you and the healing of the world, and may we bring your love and goodness with us to give unto others wherever we go. Make us the people that you would have us be, direct our footsteps, and show us what you would have us do. Make the world a safer, more beautiful place, and bless, bless all your creatures. Heal us all, dear Lord, and use us that we may know the joy of being used by you. 
Again, we thank you for tuning in. We're grateful. Namaste. Assalamu alaikum. One love, peace, love, and blessings. God bless. We'll talk to you again next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.